Welcome back, everybody. Um, well, welcome back to the interactive <coughs> half of the evening. Actually, it's really important. Uh, no one has to do anything they don't want to do. This is a, a, a volunteer effort all the way through this evening. Uh, so anything my, I might ask for, please, please feel free to either do it or not. Uh, uh, it's, uh, uh, it, it's, there's uh, no uh, house points going one way or the other. <coughs> so um, we're going to begin with a, another raft of poems. Uh, these poems are really about accepting who we are. Um, they're also about living over the road at Moynes Court. Uh, and in a way, they're about coming into land. So, the first poem is called A Traveller's Tale. Well, it finally happened. I caught myself wearing sandals and socks. Oh, they were special import mountaineering lightweight Velcro fastening numbers. But the fact is I was wearing them voluntarily. Sandals and socks, there's no excuse. I'm a wuss, a woolly, an aging hippie. My hair has opinions, it goes its own way. I've started dressing like a jumble sale. Worse, I listen to folk songs and enjoy them. It started as a weekend thing, secretly doing what I used to sneer at. But now it seems to have bled into my life, crept up on me like eating pasta and muesli. Sometimes I can scarcely believe that the man in the anorak is actually me, walking deliberately up a hill just so he can walk down the other side. And the man who stops to smell the hawthorn, who smiles at strangers and says good morning, the one who is sad when he hears a sad story, who wants to go deeper, who doesn't know. Then I remember another man impeccably turned out, booted and suited, who wore his reserve like a full set of armour. And I think of the day when, like Sir Parsifal, he met a band of palmers on the road. Sir Knight, said the travellers, what are you doing wearing your armour on a holy day? The knight errant stopped and looked at himself. I'm a fool, he said. I'm a fool. And he wept. I've set today aside for pottery, for giving my rock-rolling Sisyphus a rest. It's not that I dislike work, I love it, now that I've married my labour to my calling. But pottering feeds a different part of me, the unanticipated silliness of it. The aimless, unmeasured, undecided joy of timing, planning and arranging nothing. I think I'll wander down to the orchard, or maybe sit on the old stone cider press, or visit the briar patch that, for a year or so, has blocked the way down to the creek. I should have dealt with that briar by now. You see? The rock rolls back to the foot of the hill, and dusty, grunting Sisyphus just has to turn it into a project. No, 
Today my job is to do no job, to float in idleness like the duckweed that I might find if I got down to the water. It's not my job to do today, but simply to be in the pottering moment. Not to struggle, not to endeavour, not to organise, not to fix, not to strive, not even to create, but merely to witness, to observe, to see, to be present to the glory of this ordinary day. It could have been otherwise. The world might have been baked a different shape. We could have been sovereigns or simple saints, lovers of earth or seaborne wanderers. But no, we are ourselves and torn between the need for love and what we call our duty. Life can be cruel, has never been otherwise. So we have learned some iron truths, that hardships lead to a hardness in the heart, and that work often serves in place of love. But on a rolling blue afternoon in April, we can sit and watch the world unwinding, remembering the light as well as the darkness, and see ourselves for what we really are. Plain people, good, for all we feel otherwise, gifted with a talent for thought and kindness. That's when we gently reopen to the world, to the drifting blossom and the scent of lilac. It's another spring, the world has survived. Life has a beauty, and admit it, so do we. I love these mornings, these do-nothing mornings. The old house, still, accepting, idling. Jackdaws squabbling around the chimney tops, a robin rehearsing on the quince, and the slow light warming the tired stones, and the nearby bleat of March-born lambs. Windy mornings, too, their shallow bluster, wheedling question and complaint, the casements rattling, the fluttering glass, the whole house protesting to itself, the resentful draughts shrill and reedy, the angry slam of a put-upon door. And those other mornings, like a shapeless prayer, mumbled, incoherent, yet of infinite solace, the settling in of a day-long drizzle, the amplified drip of air become water, Stasis, surrender, saturation, gathered and gentled by the constant rain.
Pia Isabella Christensen Diaz on the occasion of her name. The midnight sky is a deep, clear indigo, and the northeast wind has dropped to a hush. Outside, the air is sharpening, and a frost shines quietly to the quiet moon. Across the water, 200 years ago, Coleridge was stilled on a night like this and blessed his beautiful sleeping child, invoking nature and the god of what is to mould its young spirit and to make it ask the rough romantic sat in wonderment, holding his child in tenderness and awe. I have no child, and to me the frost speaks of cold, not beauty. No gentle breathing by my side can thaw my heart with paternal warmth. And yet I think of you, far to the south, newborn and something of a stranger to me. What can I hope or dream for you? in a time of insatiable greed and selfishness. I'm not equipped to protect you from the world, nor to make its cruelties easier to bear. I have not found the answer to loneliness, nor a way through the maze, nor the key to life. I am what I am, a frail man, who comes from a place of spiritual poverty, a man who has tried and usually failed, a man who has struggled to give his word. This, then, is my pledge, my solemn oath, my one and only such undertaking. I will not give you things for your appetites, nor gold, nor silver, nor tinkling trinkets. Neither money nor power will you get from me. But I will give you bluebells in the springtime, and the woods above Tintin are a lavender haze. And the sweet-scented chestnuts in their greening are covered in candles like so many shrines. I will give you slow, autumnal mornings, hunting for mushrooms in the misty fields. And a missile thrush singing at winter sunset, his brave heart breaking on the twisted oak. And he will give you the heron in his patience, the kingfisher diving like a turquoise prayer. A joy in being, a taste for astonishment, an eye for wonder, and an ear for God. For truth to tell, I cannot shape you, nor would I choose to if I could. So I'll spare you rules and give you stories to keep you hopeful, imaginative, and kind. And poems and songs and chants and fables to help you to shudder and to shed a healthy tear. For you will inherit a different world to me, a world whose subtle forms and intricacies my tired generation can scarcely imagine. You will need cleverness, guile and wisdom, and strength and a star and a willing heart. All that takes thought and peace in the growing and the daily certainty of being loved. The love, I am sure, you have a plenty down there in the south where hearts are warm. So I shall keep a place in the north for you. An old man waiting for a bright young thing. There I shall polish my poems and my stories and whistle to the missile thrush as I wait.
had me thinking about dying. The specialist had dropped a few new words into my humdrum day-to-day vocabulary. Sharp, angular words like prostate, blood test, and tumour. I waited as the days grew shorter, burned faster, turning for consolation to Alden Nolan and Raymond Carver, poets who both died conscious at 50, facing the implacable mugger that is cancer. Alden got there by main strength and character, eyeball to eyeball with the merciless thug, managing to raise a modicum of grace at each new threat and ugly demand. Ray was something else. He'd made the journey, had travelled to despair and way beyond. He knew that his life, or what he had left of it, was a gift over which he had neither right nor dominion. In fact, he renounced all pretense to control and settled for the astonishing beauty of the moment. Having seen the mugger's shadow in the alleyway, having heard the click of his approaching heels, I've seen him, in his irrational way, move on, seeking someone else to terrorise. Whatever comes now, I think I'm ready. My life, like Carver's, has become a boon. For me, each day is an unexpected venison, a deepening I never thought to witness. I'm privileged to see beauty and to know what I'm seeing, to recognise love in its glory and variety, I have a place where my heart can gather itself. I have friends and the goodwill of my dead. In my 50th year, I've come into land. Rich in love and beauty, I am truly blessed. people are going to take a little rest here for a moment and we're going to hand over to you. Now, uh, I'm going to introduce you to a little kind of a poem. It's a type of poem. It's called a haiku. Many of you will know haiku. Some of you will not know haiku. That's fine. But we are going to read some haiku and then we are going to, you guessed it, write a haiku. A haiku is an interesting poem. It consists of three lines. Three lines only. Um, It's a classical Japanese form, and traditionally it's a syllabic form. So five syllables in the first line, seven syllables in the second line, and five syllables in the third line. Nice and simple. I'll give you an example. Um, It usually uh, has nature in the first line, a season uh, uh, or something in the second, a summation or a related observation in the third line, bringing the whole thing together. I'm going to talk you through this in a little while, but here's an example. November sunset, the last rooks trailing homeward, rose hips in the mud. That's a picture of an autumn day. The Japanese have perfected this over many centuries now, and um, 
Uh, we, of course, in English have taken it and we got pretty religious about, yes, the five syllables followed by the seven syllables and by the five syllables. But, of course, the Japanese write in pictograms anyway, so how did that happen? But we're going to have a look at a couple more. Um, uh, haiku are very common on email. I don't know whether you've uh, ever received any haiku uh, on email, but they tend to get sent and flown about a little bit. Here's an example. Um, yesterday it worked. Today it is not working. Windows is like that. <laughs> I'll read that one again. <laughs> yesterday it worked. One, two, three, four, five. Yes, today it is not working. Windows is like that. Perfect haiku. The form came to its uh, uh, fruition in the 17th century in Japan. Uh, a, a wonderful poet called Basho, who is considered almost as the Shakespeare of Japan, who wrote uh, a book, uh, The Journey to the Far North, um, uh, in which he, he perfectly places poems on his journey. Here's an example. It's, a, it's got an extraordinary texture, a connectedness to the world. It is autumn and the moon is full. I walked around the lake all night. It is autumn and the moon is full. I walked around the lake all night. Simple but like a little pearl. Absolutely <coughs> perfect. You couldn't take a syllable away from it. Uh, it, uh, uh, it evolved in its form. Uh, there was kind of like a romantic period in the 19th century, just as there was over here with Coleridge over the water there. Um, there was a wonderful uh, Japanese poet called Isa, who is the great poet, a Japanese poet of loss. <coughs> he lost everything. He lost his wife, he lost his daughter, he lost his wealth, he lost his home, everything. But he still kept something rapturous about him. Last night I dreamed my daughter put a watermelon to her cheek. <coughs> Last night I dreamed my daughter put a watermelon to her cheek. It's a simplicity to these poems that is quite deceiving. It draws you in. It's very beautiful. Um, uh, in England, it's become a very popular form, and, and uh, uh, around Britain, Scotland, Wales, with, uh, uh, everyone is having competitions in haiku these days. Um, uh, the National Haiku Competition in England uh, uh, was won by John Cooper Clark, uh, who wrote this famous haiku. Writing a poem in... 17 syllables is very diffy. <laughs> Writing a poem in 17 syllables is very diffy. So really, the best haiku are free form. They come in any shape, they come in any size. But we're going to work on a haiku form with you this evening. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just read a couple more and then we're going to start working and I'm going to allow you to write a haiku. I'm going to talk you through it line by line and then we're going to see what comes up. Before that, I'd like to read some haiku, two haiku, uh, by a lady called Abigail Wichels. The name might be familiar to some of you. Uh, she was stabbed a while ago uh, in the neck and paralysed. Uh, in front of her little boy. Uh, and she was totally paralysed and she was in hospital. Um, I, I worked with her mother for, for some while and um, uh, she told me, and, and I was eventually allowed, uh, uh, Abigail has allowed me to use these poems in workshops and, uh, uh, and places of work. 
When she was paralysed, all she could do was blink. So they worked out a code, and she blinked these haiku. So imagine her in a hospital bed, blinking these haiku. Cherished, chubby hands, tenderly stroking my face. Bless me once again. Still, silent body, but within, my spirit sings, dancing in love light. Still, silent body, but within, my spirit sings, dancing in love light. There's a rapture in these poems, a genuine rapture. Um, uh, Joseph Campbell, the great mythologist, um, uh, used to say, uh, in fact, I'll read the quotation, people say that what we're seeking is a meaningful life. I think what we're really seeking is an experience of being alive, so that our experiences on the purely physical plane will have resonance within our innermost being and reality, so that we can actually feel the rapture of being alive. So that we can actually feel the rapture of being alive. That's from a woman who was paralysed, writing a poem, rapture, grabbed by life, taken up, as the word means, taken up by life, from a place of absolute paralysis. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to write a haiku. Um, those of you who feel ready, I'm going to talk you through line by line. Um, and the way it's going to work is this. If you, you will find in front of you, or you may actually have been given already uh, a card and some, uh, uh, some pencils, is that right? Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, I've got to write the poem now. Mm -hmm. I was working with the UN um, a little while ago uh, in the United States, uh, and I, I, I did this little piece of work with them, uh, and I was talking about the rapture, and there was this man standing at the back who was really, he had a face like thunder. He looked like he was really hating the whole experience. And I thought, I've got to deal with this one. So I kind of walked up towards him at the back. And I said, is everything all right? And he said, hey, man, you turn me around. I've got to capture me the rapture. <laughs> and he was with an Indian friend of his who was with him. And he said, ah, I have a problem. I have a rupture in my rapture. <laughs> so we're going to have a go for the rapture this evening. So uh, the first line, ladies and gentlemen, what I'd like you to do is just take your mind in your mind's eye and I would like you to think of a season. Just close your eyes, if you like, for a second or two and visit that season. Maybe it's your favourite season, I don't know. What do you see? What do you smell? What do you hear? What do you feel in that moment? What's happening? What's the temperature, maybe? Or, or, or what's happening in nature? Just think about that for a second, and then what I'd like you to do is just write a short line. Just write a short line. Basho, as I said, the great 17th century Japanese poet, used to say, first thought, best thought. Just write it down. No one's going to be tested on this. No one's going to have to get marks out of 10. So just write the line. First thought, best thought. Something about the season. Whatever comes to you. Just let it happen. Don't worry about editing it, don't worry about it being tidy, don't worry about the spelling, don't worry about if it's all going in that direction or that direction. 
what's happening in nature for you. And now, what I'd like you to do uh, is to think of the second line. Second line is sometimes a little bit longer, doesn't have to matter. What I'd like you now to do is to go in your mind's eye to a time when you have been making something. There's an interesting um, uh, Greek word, poesis, which is the root of poetry. It just means making. When have you made something? Just close your eyes, maybe, if you need to, or in your mind's eye, go to a time when you were creating something. Maybe cooking, or gardening, or, or painting, or singing. Whenever have you done anything like that? Just think of a time when you, in your life, made something. And when you're ready, just write it down. Just write that down. Trust it. Just write that down for a second. Write down what it is that you see yourself making. What you have made. This is a particularly creative area. I know that a lot of you make a lot of wonderful things. <laughs> okay. Remember, first thought, best thought. Just let it happen. Don't feel obliged to edit it. Don't think, oh dear, no, I can't do this right. I don't do poetry. And now the third line. I want you just to maybe close your eyes if you need to. I want you just to kind of go into your mind's eye. Maybe go into your heart. And just think about when you are most alive. When do you feel absolutely alive? When are you feeling the rapture of being alive? When do you experience that moment of being taken up by life? <coughs> when you're ready, just write it down. Just write down the words. Whatever the short line might be. First thought, best thought. Trust it. Let it happen. Park the editor. Just let it happen. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much in joining us uh, for this. We are now going to ask, and this is where the bit where it all gets toe-curlingly embarrassing for a second or two, we are going to ask if there are any of you that would like to stand up and read your haiku so that Yoga and Carol can respond to it. <laughs> now, we're going to have a few haiku, and they are going to respond to the group of the haiku. So, Whenever you are ready, if you are feeling so inclined, and we know there are many creative people in the audience, so if you are feeling inclined, please, as you are moved to do so, if you would like, stand up and read out your haiku. <laughs> <laughs> The swollen river rushes by, for a boat bob along. Life sings the song of love. Great. Thank you very much, indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much. And also, thank you for being the brave soul who started this off. Thank you. Thank you very much. And also, thank you for being the brave soul who started this off. Thank you. Yes. Anyone else? Yes, you sir. Honeysuckle scent, carving a stone head. One shaft only, all is music. 
again. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Anyone else? Yes. Anyone else? How are we doing? Yes, yes. Sunlight welcome fish, like warm songs within a meadow, pulsing open now. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Pulsing open now. And somebody else? Yes? Over the left. Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you very much indeed. <coughs> A couple more? Anyone else? Yes. Ripple of green leaves, weaving words into an avatar. I dance into my living. Ooh, I dance into my living. Thank you, mm. thank you. Right. Yes. Ah, good. Autumn's here, clothes waiting to be picked. Awake and drink. <laughs> yeah, awake and drink. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyone else? Last call. Yes. The gold leaf falling, cold skin warmed by light, his eyes upon me. Yeah, thank you very much indeed. One last one. Yes. Winter beach, cold waves, making wooden toys. Thank you very much. Perfect fit. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, each and every one of you, uh, for um, uh, putting, your, putting your pen to paper, putting your pencil to paper. They're now going to say something to you.
it's okay, ladies and gentlemen. The creativity police have left the building. Um, I'd like to introduce something else, and we're going to carry on with the interactive bit. Um, we're in a building that is used to song. So what we are going to do now is we are going to uh, uh, give you a little raft of poems that come towards the close. And what we would like to do is we would like to finish with a chant. These poems are uh, poems that speak in celebration of nature, of celebration of the planet, of celebration of the, the ground beneath <coughs> us. So um, what we'd like to do is to, to refer you to an ancient and very old uh, uh, chant that comes from Burkina Faso. Uh, Burkina Faso is the poorest country, I'm told, on the planet. Certainly one of. And there they have absolutely nothing, but they have maintained their connection with the earth. Dusty and dry as it is. So uh, we're going to use a, a chant from Burkina Faso, and I'm going to ask you to join in uh, at the end of the evening. Uh, uh, and we're going to join in with you, obviously. But uh, first of all, you need a little bit of practice. So that's the way it's going to go. The chant is very simple. Uh, the chant goes like this. Azimawohe, Azimawoh, 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 Azimawoh. Fairly simple, huh? Azimawohe, about three times the volume, so. poems. Um, they are all about nature and in the work that I've been doing I've really begun to notice that there is a real separation between ourselves and nature that is developing. It's a divide that is opening up. We are separated from the world. We are separated from the earth in a way that our grandparents were not and our great-great-great-grandparents could not have conceived of being separated from the earth. It's just the way we live these days. We live in denatured buildings. We live in little bubbles that move on four wheels, uh, backwards and forwards. Uh, and we are separated from the earth. That's the way it is. Um, I'd like to uh, read a poem to you uh, that is actually in Mayan. It's by another poet, uh, a, a wonderful poet by the name of Umberto Akabal. Umberto Akabal. Uh, and he is a poet uh, from Guatemala. He's actually a Mayan poet. Uh, and he lives in exile because of the situation in his country. Uh, uh, but he lives in exile in Los Angeles. Uh, and he writes here about his homeland. And what he writes is very simply a list of the birds in the rainforest. It's just a list of the birds in the rainforest. Simple enough. Except that he's writing in Mayan. And when you write in Mayan, the names of the birds in the rainforest are the sounds that they make. 
So, this is a little poem by Umberto Akbal called Cantos de Pajaros, which is the song of the birds. See how many you can recognize. Please! 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 I am a radio station broadcasting to the world. I am seven years old and I'm sitting on a fence post overlooking the storm field and the village beyond. Being a radio station is more fun than being a train. I was a train for ages, an express, then a sleeper, then a goods, and then an angry little shunter. Nobody speaks to trains because they're too busy. Now I'm a radio station, transmitting daily to the far horizon, which is miles. It's a varied programme, including music, religion and talks, and remembered bits of round the horn that I take in on my crystal set before I fall asleep. Every ten minutes I recite the news, what Miss Sims said to my mum, and how Dolly Fever, the postmistress, is still beating pickles with a stick, which is cruel. Sometimes I run out of news, and then I sing things. My song becomes a naming, and my naming is a world. Robin Hood and Little John, and a pair of long trousers, and Broxwood and the hill and someone to talk to, 
and the cedar and the elder and the elm and the oaks and the silverback mole and the pheasant and the lark and the weasel that steals the pheasant's eggs and the rooks and the rabbits and the nettles and dots and the storm on the corn and the clouds and God. Turn the corner. Saw magnolia. Folded over sugar pinkness, bright against the brittle blue. Saw quince. Saw brick red blossom quince, standing bashful by a wall. Saw witch hazel. Saw cyclamen. Saw daisy, beaming like kids with a secret. Heard jay. Heard fince. Finch. Heard robin and wren. Heard blackbird chortling like a winner at the bookies. Heard moorhen with her wittering chicks. Then... I heard swan beat the sky like a drum and I followed her rhythm and came to the heart of it and seeing became hearing and hearing became feeling and I knew what I felt and at last I said yes. Isn't spring your favourite season? Watching the flowers bloom with up and crown Watching the snow melt down Boy, you make it winter time but spring is my joy Alone that morning, in a field of thistles and ragwort, she was overtaken by a mist of sadness that swept up out of the coombs below Egerton. He was blissfully unaware, having woken to the croak of a raven on the pine behind them. Look, there, there he is again. Aren't they supposed to be messengers? He stood downhill, watching the landscape, with its greys and greens, its weight and solemnity, while a bird of prey keened from a high blue loneliness. She remembered the night they made love in the open, how he had looked up and embraced the stars, assured of the first time of her place amongst them. She recalled how she'd started putting a name to things, watermint, hogweed, rose bay willow herb. Now when the hawk cried, she knew it was a buzzard. Hold me, she called at last. Come here and hold me. So he went to her, cheerful at first, then serious, worried that he might have somehow failed her. I never knew till now, she said. It was just another word. And as she spoke, the tears began to well. Nature was something you drove through to get to places. Did you ever get up in the muddle before dawn for no better reason than that you wanted to greet the sunrise? Did you ever dress quietly with serious intent and pick your way over wintry fields to arrive at a place that you once imagined bathed in the first clear light of morning? And did you wait as the dawning grew, moved through purple to mauve to grey? from excitement to boredom to a kind of calm as you gently noticed your insignificance? And did you mutter unfamiliar words that seemed to come from somewhere else, ancient words of dread and devotion, words of welcome and astonishment? And when at last the tired sun issued from the earth like a molten copper head, did you notice the hawk that flew at you, rose in a way that made everything sacred, 
stooped in a way that made the day blaze? Or did you sleepwalk into the morning, bending your dreams to another's purpose, listening to the news, half hoping for a cataclysm, anything to make the tired day more real? La 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 I praise the earth, still young and rounded, full and fecund, blousy in her greening. I praise the earth, long-sorrowing mother, withered, wounded to the point of death by sons who take the spike to her passivity. I praise the earth, awesome and indifferent, who neither turns nor lashes out but shrugs, who cannot count, who kills without rancour. I praise the earth, her giving and taking, her generational exchange of life for life, new flesh for bone, of moistness, for aridity. I praise her, but my culture has no words, no richly polished words of deliciousness, to pour in her honour, to pour like a balm. I praise the earth, but even here I'm stealing. These words of my brothers, Azima Wo. Azima Wo, hey. Azima wo, Azima wo, Azima wo, Azima wo, Azima wo, hey, Azima wo.
joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Please help to support the Red Cross. You're doing great stuff. Thank you. Senior Service Manager for the Red Cross here in South East Wales. And for those of you who've uh, been to a fundraising event run by the Red Cross before, welcome back. And for those of you for which this is your first experience, congratulations. You have survived the experience and uh, we hope you come back and support us at future events. Well, I, I find a great affinity really with, with what's gone on here tonight and what, what the Red Cross stands for. There is a phrase that's um, often uttered um, along with the word British Red Cross, and that is best known, least understood. And I find that that phrase has great truth, particularly in relation to our UK services. I'm not going to talk to you about what goes on internationally because you know about that. You see it on your TV screens, hear about it on your radios, and it's very emotive stuff, and it sticks in the mind. But... Um, Whilst you know what goes on around the world, what people often don't know about is what's going on right around your corner. And here in South East Wales, the Red Cross provides 18 different services. And I hope that during the course of the evening, you've had a chance to look at the leaflets that I know were, were put on your seats. And um, if you have taken a few minutes to look at that leaflet, you will have seen the vast range of services that we provide here in South East Wales. And they range from daycare services down in the Vale of Glamorgan to respite services in Cardiff, to community equipment services right across the locality. We support the victims of fire and flood incidents through our fire and emergency support service. No doubt you would have seen our volunteers at events such as Chepstow Races, where we provide the first aid cover. Our services such as international patron and message are known by many, many people. And increasingly, as we have individuals from right across the world arriving in South Wales, our work with refugees and asylum seekers is a big area of growth for us. Individuals with disfigurements are assisted through our skin camouflage service. And individuals who are in hospices, hospitals, mental health centres are assisted through our therapeutic care. All the services are very individual and unique. But the one thing that they do have in common is that by providing those services, we are assisting individuals who are going through periods of crisis in their lives. And that's where I find <coughs> the affinity with what's gone on tonight. All of you are involved in humanitarian work. You don't turn away, you don't ignore people. And that is what the volunteers and staff join Red Cross for. We too are leaders. We set the example, I feel, and we take the time when somebody comes to us and approaches us who's going through a period of crisis in their lives, we are there to help them. 
and I certainly feel very proud and privileged to be able to be part of such a, a, a great organisation and I know my staff team and my volunteers feel the same. But we couldn't provide those services without the support of individuals like William, Carol and Yoga who have given up their time tonight and have provided such an, an evening of not just entertainment, I feel, but I certainly feel uplifted. I was listening to your poem with, um, with interest. The higher you get at the management scale, you do get surrounded by bits of paper, reports, going for funding and statistics and performance indicators become the key words that sort of govern my day. And, um, you know, it's very, last year we helped over 26,000 individuals in South East Wales alone, over 80,000 throughout Wales. Um, and it's very difficult when you're sitting behind your desk, not getting in contact with people, to um, forget that that 26,000 people isn't just a statistic. Each one is an individual with a, with a story. And uh, the time that I forget about that is the time that certainly it's time for me to leave the Red Cross. So, on behalf of the Red Cross and the South Wales branch of the Red Cross, can I thank you all? I've thoroughly enjoyed the evening. I feel completely uplifted and my heart is warm now. That's the only thing I can say. <laughs> and uh, to you, the audience, because um, we couldn't have, have done tonight if you hadn't given up your Saturday evening to come along and uh, support this event. So, to you as well, on behalf of the Red Cross, can I say a very, very big thank you. And I hope to see you all at future events. All the money raised from tonight's um, event will be going to support local services. So rest in, rest in peace and confidence <coughs> that your money will be spent well. Thank you. Thank you.